Uh, before I forget, I wanted to um, recognize a special guest that we have here this morning um, who ha- has been part of our church since he was a really little kid, and uh, he is now serving in the United States Navy, and he is visiting us this morning from somewhere that I don't know, some other part of the world, and so uh, his name is Jake. He's right over there, so we want to thank Jake for what he does and for being here today. We only get to see him a couple times a year now, but uh, we're thankful anytime we get together with him. So I'm afraid to use your last name because aren't you doing some like top secret stuff or something like that? No? All right. I just didn't want to expose you or anything needlessly. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about the end. And when I say the end, I mean like the end of everything. The end of history, what's going to happen? And uh, incidentally, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been um, teaching from over the last four months or so, uh, three months. And so we're going to look at how Jesus concludes his most famous and memorable sermon. Before we do, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt the pain and confusion and isolation of being rejected. Have, have you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? Like, all, you know, you, you thought you belonged to this person or this group, and then all of a sudden you realized you don't belong. You thought you were loved and accepted and known, and then all of a sudden you realize, I'm not known. I'm not accepted. I thought I was. I thought I was in, but I'm actually out. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure many of us could think of a time when we felt that, that pain associated with that. When I was in second grade, this is the, this is the first time I can remember the feeling of rejection. I, I was in second grade, and uh, I, I went to a very small Lutheran school right here in the city of West Dallas, and our teacher was telling us a story. I still remember this vividly. She, I don't even remember what the story was about, but she, but she stopped, and she asked each one of her students, has anyone in here is there anyone in here who's never been baptized before? And uh, I was in second grade, and I had never been baptized. I didn't even know what it was, I don't think, and so I raised my hand. And uh, after a couple seconds, I realized I was the only one raising my hands. And everyone was looking at me like this. (laughs) Like, are you serious? You know you're going to hell, right? I mean, that's, that's what people are looking, those are the faces that I got from my teacher, from everybody else. Like, there's something seriously wrong with me. Like, what are you doing here? You need to go get baptized right now. And, and I went to a very conservative Lutheran school. My parents were not Lutheran. Um, and so the school began to pressure them to have me baptized. And I, I appreciate my parents because they didn't cave into that pressure. And a couple of years later, it got so bad that they took me out of the school. But I remember that for the first time, I felt like, you know what, I thought I, was, I thought I belonged here, but I don't. I thought I was like these people, but I'm not. They thought they knew me, but they, they didn't. They didn't know that about me. And I was treated differently from that day on. I was treated differently by my peers. I was treated differently by the teachers. And my parents were treated differently by the administration because of all that. And that brings us to our passage for today. Now, Like I said, we we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount today, and this is 
like the greatest sermon that was ever preached. This is the sermon to end all sermons. This is the speech to end all speeches. This is, uh, th- these are considered to be the most famous and sacred words ever uttered in this world by many people who are Christians and non-Christians. I mean, if you're God, if you're God and you're preaching this sermon, you've just said everything you wanted to. So how do you end it? How do you end the most famous sermon you're ever going to preach? And it's probably, Jesus doesn't end the sermon the way that we probably would think he would. He doesn't say, let's pray. And doesn't give a benediction. And, and he, do, he just doesn't end it the way that I think we would want him to or the way we think he would. He ends this Sermon on the Mount with a picture and a parable. And they're both very brief. And they both serve to give us a warning. And that's how Jesus ends his, his greatest sermon, with a warning. And we're going to look at it right now. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to read the picture that Jesus gives. And if you've never heard these verses before, you probably will remember them for a long time after today, just because of what they say. This is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we're going to pause there. So Jesus, first of all, he decides to end his sermon by reminding all of his hearers that the end is coming. Every single one of us is going to die. And after we die, sometime after we die, every single person is going to stand before Jesus and have to give an account for their life. And many people, when they stand before Jesus, they're going to expect Jesus to say, John, welcome home. Paradise is yours. But Jesus isn't going to say that. Instead, he's going to say, get away from me, you evil person. I never knew you. And that's going to come as a shock to many people. So basically, Jesus ends this sermon by talking about things we hate talking about. Death and rejection. (laughs) We hate talking about death and rejection. None of us wants to talk about that. This is not a popular passage of Scripture. We don't... if, If you're not a Christian... And these verses make you feel uncomfortable. I want you to know that they make Christians feel uncomfortable too. Christians don't, we we don't like the fact that God is going to say no to a lot of people. We just don't. You won't won't find these verses on any Christian calendar. You're not going to find these verses etched on some, um, you know, farmhouse vintage piece of decor from Hobby Lobby hanging in someone's house, you know, it says, I never knew you. <laughs> Does, do any of you have that on your wall? I don't think so. It's just haunting. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be reminded of that. You're not going to find any Christians with that tattooed on your arm, the verses. But oh my goodness, do we ever need to hear these words? Because this is going to happen. And I don't want to be the person who stands face to face with Jesus Christ only to hear him say to me, I never knew you. I don't want to be the person who got so close to to seeing and tasting the kingdom of heaven only to watch all of it slip away. 
and to be banished from the presence of God for all eternity. So what does this text actually teach us about Jesus and about us? It teaches us that Jesus Christ will reject many people who looked like good people. People who we thought were going to heaven, who we thought Jesus would welcome in. Many people, he says, are going to have to face up to this reality. Now, I think you all know that there's a lot of different views out there today, even, even among Christians, about the afterlife and what happens after you die, right? There's a lot of different views out there. One of the popular ones is that in the end, everyone will be forgiven for their sin, regardless of what they believed and how they lived, right? Many people believe that. And uh, honestly, if that turns out to be the case, that'll be okay with me. I'm not going to be upset and disappointed if in the end, everybody's in. God's mercy covers everybody. That, that wouldn't upset me. You know, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have any regrets. I wouldn't live my life any differently, to be honest with you. If I knew today that Jesus Christ was not the only way to be in the presence of God, I would not change anything about my life because I love following Jesus. But here's the thing. The scriptures don't teach that or anything close to it. <laughs> That's not what Jesus believed about what happens after you die. And even though, though it might be easier for us to believe that God's love is big enough and deep enough and wide enough to cover everyone's sin, or that there's enough goodness in everyone to be in the presence of God. It's just not true. It's just not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, the Scriptures teach us that it's because God is so loving, because His love is so deep and so intense and ferocious, He cannot, He, he can't not respond to sin and what sin has done to His creation and His people. He has to respond in, in violent force to what sin has done to us. He has to punish it. He has to because of his love. And, if, and we also know that God is both loving and merciful and he's just. He's not one or the other. So it really makes no sense for anyone to believe that there's a heaven, but not a hell. That doesn't even make sense because God is loving and just. Which brings us to another view that some people hold called annihilationism. And this view teaches that some people will go to heaven and everyone else will just die. They'll just be annihilated. But when Jesus says, depart from me, to those people, to these people in our text today, when he says, depart from me, they don't go down to the grave. They do not go down to the grave. They go to a real place that Jesus talked about very often, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where they will never find peace or rest or joy again. They're going to a place where there will be, they will be eternally crushed under the weight of their sin. There will be ongoing torment with, with no rest at all. A place full of regret and guilt and sorrow. A place that Jesus called hell. And the residents of hell suffer complete physical, emotional, and spiritual agony without end. And Jesus talked a lot about it. So Jesus goes on 
And he tells us that when these people realize that they're not who they thought they were or that they, Jesus never knew them, that many people will def- try to defend themselves to Jesus. They will try to defend themselves in the presence of Jesus. Lord, Lord, didn't we do enough? Didn't we do your will? Didn't we believe? Didn't we uh, ask you into our heart? Didn't we get baptized? Didn't we serve? You know, we, didn't we join the small group? Didn't we do everything we were supposed to do? We went to church regularly. Didn't we do all these things? And Jesus will turn them away. And that means that many people today have a false peace. They have a false peace. They're self-deceived. And not only are they self-deceived, but let me tell you that, that our enemy, our enemy, loves to feed that false peace, that false assurance. He loves to convince us that we're okay with God, and he will do whatever he can to keep us on that path as long as he keeps us away from Jesus. So we can believe the right things about Jesus. We can believe the right things about the Bible. We can say the right things to Jesus. We can have enthusiasm and passion for Jesus. We can lift our hands and sing with all of our emotion. And, and here's the crazy thing. We can even cast out demons and perform miracles and be totally empty on the inside. That's what Jesus says. We can have every appearance of being a disciple and not know Jesus at all. So Jesus continues in verse 25 by giving us a parable to help us compare and contrast a real disciple with someone who only thinks that they are a disciple. And this is what he says, beginning in verse, uh, excuse me, 24 of Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, We have two builders, two houses. On the outside, they look the same. These builders have the same, they they both want to build a house, the same kind of house, same location. And we know that because they're subject to the same storms and things like that. Everything on the outside looks the same. But Jesus, he doesn't want us to focus on what's the same. He wants us to focus on what's different about them. And the only way to know what's different about these two people is to look beneath the surface. Is to look beneath the surface. It's not obvious, in other words, what the difference is. We have to dig deeper. And we discover that they have one fundamental difference between them, and it's their foundation. It's the foundation of the house. It's the foundation of their life. So practically speaking, what is the difference between these two people? We've already seen they're very similar on the outside. Jesus is speaking to religious people, or what our you know, culture affectionately calls church people, maybe. <laughs> he's talking about church people. They both go to church. They both pray. I mean, this is what he's been saying all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, 
Don't be like the people, don't be like the hypocrites who go out and, and pray long prayers in front of all these people so that they can be seen and heard. Instead, pray in secret, pray in private so that your Father, it's just between you and God. That, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray together. It just means some people are praying to be heard by others and some people are pouring their hearts out to God and they're very different people. But on the outside, they look the same. He's been doing this through the whole sermon. They both pray, they both go to church, they both give, they both serve, and yet they're totally different on the inside. That's the point, right? So, what is the difference? The person who only thinks they know Christ, they have a foundation built on self. Their foundation is self. When you get to the bottom of their heart, there they are. <laughs> it's them. That's it. They are focused on what they want and what they think they need. This person will follow Jesus until it costs them something, right? They will follow Jesus as long as they're getting what they want out of the relationship. This might be the kind of person who's devoted to their church until their church makes some changes that don't fit their preferences, and then they move on, right? This person is driven by the question, in all of their life, they're driven by the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And in other words, the biggest problem with this person is that they don't really want Christ. They don't really want to know Christ. They think they do, but what they really want is what Christ can give them. It's what they get out of the relationship, which we already have seen as a shallow relationship. They want God's gifts. They want God's blessings. They want God's comfort. They want, want God's healing, but they don't want God and, and, and just God. They don't want righteousness as much as they want happiness and comfort and success because their foundation is self. Now, the person who really does know Christ is different. They're totally different. They want to know Christ more than they want anything else. They want to please God, not because they're going to get something from God, but because they just want more of God. They do not advertise their good deeds. They do not give and pray in order to be seen by and heard by others. They do God's will, even if it costs them something, even if it costs them everything. For some people, it'll cost them comfort. To other people, following Jesus will cost them their reputation. It might cost them friendships. It might cost them a job. It might cost them success. But none of that matters to them because to them, obeying God is the only option. They realize that obeying God is the only way for them to be happy. And so they do it willingly because they want more of God. They just want more of God. Now some of you are wondering, as you should be, how can I know? How can I know that Jesus knows me? How can I approach the end with confidence? We all want to know that, don't we? And here are some questions that we need to ask of ourselves. And these come really from the Sermon on the Mount more than anywhere else. One of the questions that I would ask myself and you should ask yourself is do I grieve over my sin do I grieve over my sin and or do I hide my sins from others and sweep their sins under the rug 
That's a good question we need to ask ourselves today. Here's another question. Do I do what God wants, even if it's going to cost me something? You know, when it comes down to it, all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, we hear that God does not want our sacrifices. He does not want our money. He doesn't want our time. He doesn't want our good deeds. He doesn't want our songs and our lip service. He doesn't even want our passion. He wants us. He wants all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants our love and affection. He wants our loyalty. He wants our obedience. He just wants us to submit to him in everything out of love. And he wants us so much that he sent his only son so that, we, so that he could have us. He sent his only son to die so that we could be his possession, his prized possession. That's what it took. And that brings us to probably the most important question you could ask today. Have I been transformed in my innermost being by the reality that Jesus Christ died and rose again? Have you been transformed by the gospel? You know, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, do you know what the death and resurrection of Jesus gives us? You know what happened when Jesus was on the cross? One of the things that happened, there's a couple things that happened, and we'll talk about this on Friday, I'm sure. We know that it was high noon, and yet the entire earth was covered in blackness because Jesus was being judged. That's, that's what judgment is about. Anytime the judgment of God shows up on earth, there's darkness. And God was judging his only son, and so for three hours, the earth was pitch black. We also know that when Jesus breathed his last, this 72-foot curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, where God's presence was said to dwell, was torn from top to bottom. Do you know what that represents? Access. Access. Because before that day, who could go into the, holy, the most holy place? The high priest. Just one man. The high priest. Once a year. But when Jesus died, guess who gets to go in? To the presence of God. Anyone. Anyone who's willing to turn to the Lord for forgiveness and mercy Anyone who's willing to repent and do what God wants. Gives us access. Before Jesus, before the death of Jesus, we were all rejects. We were all outsiders. We were all strangers and enemies of God. But in Romans 5 it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that we did to earn God's favor. While we were still sinners, Christ did this. To bring us into the presence of God. If you are not sure where you stand with God today, if you're not, if you're not sure, let's say that you died this week, and I hate to, to get, you know, fill your mind, mind with morbid thoughts, but none of us knows. And if you died today, if you died tomorrow, and you found yourself face to face, with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what would he say? And I want to remind you today that you have one hope, my friend. You have one hope and only one hope of Jesus welcoming you into God's presence. And that is the righteousness of Jesus. 
If you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus, you are in. If you have trusted in the death of Jesus as your only salvation, you are a child of God. You can't do anything more to get into the kingdom. If you could stop sinning, which you probably can't, but if you could, that wouldn't change anything. The only way we have access is by grace through faith in Jesus, who is our substitute. He is our Savior. He is our King. We were in bondage to sin until he purchased us. We were blind. We were blind to the activity of God until Jesus lifted the veil from our eyes. We were all spiritually bankrupt and empty until Jesus covered us with his righteousness. Do you love him? Do you desire him? Are you becoming more like him? Do, do you, let me ask you this. Do you relate to God as your father? Do you relate to God as your father? Do you know that that concept was introduced by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? That's where we first get that. The Sermon on the Mount. That's why we call God Father. Do you relate to God as your father or does God seem distant to you? Does God seem distant to you? Are you ashamed to, to talk to him, to seek him? To ask for his help. Do you know what kind of access that you have to God? You know what this is? This is like my five-year-old daughter, who is my youngest, my youngest, my baby girl. If she were to knock on my door in the middle of the night, and or, or she she would knock, she'd just come in. That's if she came into our room in the middle of the night, my wife would stay sleeping. And she would come over to me and say, Daddy, I had a bad dream. Daddy, I don't feel good. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I would get up. I would pull her into bed with me. I would do that. You know why? Because that's what, because of my love and affection for her. Because I, just how, it's just, I, wouldn't, I couldn't help it. <laughs> She's my little girl. She has access to me night and day. I would never turn her away. My friends, that is the kind of access you have to the creator of the universe because of what Jesus did. That's the kind of access that we have. Do you relate to God that way? Even when you fail, even when you have disappointed, even when you have disobeyed willfully against God's commands, will you go to him as your father And talk to him and, and, and confess your sin and ask for his forgiveness. Because that's what kids do. Unless they're afraid of their father, unless they're afraid their father is going to punish them or cast them away. But that's not our God, that's not who he is. I, I want my children, I want my children to not only call me dad to my face. But I want my children to act like I'm their dad wherever they are. I want them to remember that I'm their dad. And, and, and here's what I mean. My wife and I, we have four daughters and we have a son right in the middle. And um, he's 10 years old now. And our relationship isn't perfect. It's getting better. <laughs> um, but I, I love my son. And I've messed up so many times and he has too. But we love being together. We just love being together. We're the only two men in the, in the family. We have a special bond. And so we do a lot of things together that I don't necessarily do with the girls. 
And uh, one of the things I love about my son is that he actually likes to please me. He, he does. Um, when he obeys me, <laughs> which isn't all the time, it might not even be most of the time, but when he does obey me, it's because he wants to. It's because of our relationship. It's because he loves me. I know that it is. I can see it. And when he doesn't obey me, there are consequences. But I don't want him to obey me out of fear. I don't want him to obey me out of sheer duty. I don't, I don't want him to obey me to get something from me. I don't want him to obey me while he's saying under his breath, I'm only doing this to stay out of trouble, but someday when I leave this house, I'm going to do it my way. I'm, I'm going to do things, you know, do my thing and live however I want to. That's not what I want as a dad. That's not the kind of obedience I'm looking for. I want him to obey me for me just because he loves me and because he knows I love him. And that's what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. So as we end this series, okay, as we end this whole series and wrap it up, I've got no new instruction for you. (laughs) Jesus doesn't give us any more commands here. Okay, all we have is this warning. The most important thing about your life is the foundation. It's the foundation. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how influential you are, how powerful you are, how many children you have, or how great of a parent you are. It doesn't matter how good you look or how hard you work. It doesn't matter how committed you are to your church or your community. You can have all those things and not have Jesus. So some of us this week would do well to go before God today. And like David said in Psalm 139, he said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of us need to pray that to God today. And I believe if you pray that with a sincere heart, God will speak to you. He will show you. He will answer. Because all that matters now is what you do with what you've heard. That's what Jesus is is, is getting after, okay? He's just said all of these amazing things, life-changing principles and, and realities because of who he is, right? But all that matters now is what you do. What matters now is that you make a decision, Okay, you can't, you can't uh, listen to this whole sermon and be like, oh, that was interesting. Oh, that was amazing. Yes, the world would be such a better place if everyone lived like that. No. Jesus is asking us to do something. What are you going to do with what Jesus has already said? That's the question. That's and the warning is, if you walk away and never do anything, if you, if you don't do anything, you're deceived. If you simply agree with all of this and say, yep, that's, I agree with that, that would be great, nothing's changed. What are you going to do with what you've heard? What are you building your life on, is what he's really asking We're all building on something. Are you building on a foundation that will last? Because none of that other stuff's going to last. All that's going to, the only thing that will last 
is the relationship with Jesus. What Jesus has done through us. That's what's going to last. That's all that matters. And the storms of life are going to reveal that. The storms of life are going to show what our foundation is built on. And it's not a matter of if the storms are coming. They are coming. Jesus said the rain came, the floods came, the wind beat on the house. And only one of the houses stood. Will your house stand? Will Jesus smile on you? Will Jesus welcome you in? Are you prepared for that day? You know, we spend a lot of time and energy preparing for all kinds of things in life. We prepare for a wedding. We prepare for marriage. We prepare for a new child. We prepare for a new house. But none of those things is going to last, my friends. Are you prepared for this? Are you prepared to stand before Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the cornerstone, the foundation of life? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We do acknowledge, as we sung earlier, that you, you are the God of all good things. You are the God of this world. You are, the, you are the sovereign ruler of our lives, whether we acknowledge that or not. And I ask today, God, that you would speak to us and work in our hearts in such a way that we would see you for who you are, that we would see the Lord Jesus for who he is, that we would see that Jesus is, that we would see that Jesus is sitting at your right hand, ruling in power, that he is the creator and sustainer of all life. And the most important thing about us is whether or not we are building our life around him. He, Jesus, you gave everything to us. And, and we submit ourselves to you today. Wherever we're at in our journey, God, today we say we want to serve you. We want to worship you, Lord. We want our lives to be about you. We want to build on you because we, we admit that nothing else will last. So we build our lives on you, God, and we ask that when we stand before you, we will do so with confidence, knowing that you will, that you will keep your promise to us. That anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and anyone who, who loves you will obey your commands. And on the last day, you will welcome them in. We know that. We know that what you've said is true. And we acknowledge you as our Savior and our King. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.